If you would take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 13. Gospel of John chapter 13. And I'm going to kind of hitch on to what we started last week and just serving. Why, Why do we do it? His name was Eric Liddell, 100-meter sprinter by training and talent. He became known as the Flying Scotsman. He became well-known throughout the, uh, through the movie about him that was called Chariots of Fire, for it was in 1924 in the Paris Olympics where Liddell found out that his 100-meter race that he had trained years for was scheduled to actually be run on a Sunday. Well, being a devout Christ follower, he refused to run on Sunday, believing it would violate the Sabbath, something he wouldn't do for king, for country, or for King Jesus. For doing that, Liddell took a lot lot of heat. He was even called by some in his country a traitor. But part of the greatness of this story is that when it took place and he made his stand, he later, later had the opportunity to represent his country in another race at the same Olympics. Though he had never trained for the 400-meter race, an opening came and he not only won a gold medal, but he set a world record in the process. This is what's so interesting about Eric Liddell. After his great rise to fame, what did he do? By 1925, he had received a degree in divinity and science where he traveled to Japan to be a missionary and where he continued there for the next 18 years, often working with the Red Cross to gain gain greater access to more remote regions to do his missionary work. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. I want to look this morning at the heart of Jesus as a servant. This is probably almost as much theological as it will be inspirational because it is something that is often overlooked. Jesus, the story we're going to read, he's getting ready to check out of this life. He's giving it up, his life for the sins of humanity across the board, past, present, and future. And he's in this little room with 12 of his closest followers probably going to die on the cross in approximately 72 hours. And as he's sitting here with these followers, what Luke chapter 22 will tell us, which is a corollary passage to here in John chapter 13, is that they're arguing about who is the greatest. Who's the big dog? Who's going to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus? And Jesus is also very clear that one of these men that has now walked with him for three years is going to betray him for a little bit of chump change. He knows in these moments that all power has been given to him from his father. And so we're going to kind of move through this emotionally packed scene that if you don't really read between some of the lines, you're going to miss some of the pathos, some of the emotion of it. So let's pick it up in John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, now before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Jesus knew he was hours away from dying on the cross. That was his ultimate mission and reason for coming to this earth. I love this phrase. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I mean, see, there is the fullness of his love that was going to be exhibited here. 
Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. But this is what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from the Father. Important phrase, that he had come from the Father. And now he knew that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper. He laid aside his robe. He took a towel and he tied it around himself. Next, he poured, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel that had been tied around him. You have to understand that usually this is something that a servant would have done. Somebody would have probably prepared ahead and paid somebody or if they knew of somebody that when the disciples and Jesus came into this upper room, they would have had this time where they would have actually washed their feet. Jesus was the rabbi. Rabbis would have never done this. Verse 6 says, he came to Simon Peter and he asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Because Peter knew, what in the world are you doing, Lord? You're the big dog. You're, you're the man here. You're the rabbi. You're the teacher. And Jesus said, what I'm doing for you, you don't understand now, but afterwards, you'll know. And then Peter, you know, the, the one that always, you know, opens mouth, inserts foot with, with good intentions. But he says, Lord, you know what? You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Well, Jesus replied, listen, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. So Simon Peter said, well, Lord, not only my feet, why don't you just give me a whole power wash? I mean, from my head, my hands, all the way down. And Jesus says, you know what? One who has bathed, it doesn't need to be washed everything except his feet. But he is completely clean. Peter, you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, which is why he said you were not all clean. What he's really saying there is a great picture for us. That when you come to Christ, you're, you're, you're clean. You're made righteous in him when you choose to follow him and to receive Jesus. His blood washes us. But isn't it true that as we just go through life day by day, what do we do? Well, we get a little dirty. We get a little mucky. We get a little bit of stuff on us. And how we get cleaned is through the word and through confession. It's a catharsis is really what confession does. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you've been clean, Peter. You've been walking with me. You're in relationship with me. But as you walk, he uses this kind of this analogy as Jesus always does. He uses this, this picture of having dirty feet to say that's kind of spiritually the same way. Sometimes we just need to simply be clean day by day. Well, then Jesus had washed their feet. He put on his robe and he reclined again and he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, guess what? You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Verse 16 says, I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, underscore this, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I love that. Humanity, we respond to Christ's power, don't we? 
This has been one of my favorite passages forever because it really pulls back the curtain. And we get to see the true heart of Jesus Christ here. The heart of God, the heart of Christ's life and mission. It's so easy to see Christ expressed by his love. And it's easy for us to move forward in the application of seeing how Jesus washing, washes the disciples' feet. But the opening verses 1 through 5 are just chock full of important truth because we see that before Jesus, that before he even ties a towel around his waist, what does it say he's going to do? He's going to show the full extent of his love to those closest to us, to him. Now, if you just quickly read ahead to uh, verse 34 and 35 of this same chapter, you'll see this. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. For by this, all people will know that you are my, dis my disciple if you have love for one another. See, sometimes when we hear that, we have a future tense look that we says, oh boy, how Jesus wants us to know that we love one another is by his death on the cross. Absolutely. But what he begins to talk to the people within relationship with him, what he's really saying is, look back at what I did. What did he do? He said, the full extent of my love is about to be shown. And then he gives this new commandment that looks back and he says, do what I've done, which is wash people's feet. So we see that Jesus, all God and all man, reveals the full extent of his love. How? By washing and serving the feet of his followers. And see, Jesus is not only showing the full extent of his love here, but he knows another really important truth that all things are under his power. He says that the Father has now given him everything. Isn't that amazing? At this point in his ministry, as he's getting ready to check out, he recognizes that the Father has said, I'm giving you everything right now. It's under you. It's in your hands. It's in your power. And what does he do? What does he do next? Well, he grabs a towel. He fills up a basin. And he displays the greatest act of his power by doing what? By serving his followers and washing their feet. So in verse 3, it tells us that all power was under his authority. This is kind of a mysterious part of Christ. It's easy to miss and sometimes it can be hard for us to really connect with Jesus in. You know, most of us, don't a lot of us really enjoy the Olympics? I mean, some of us might not even be athletically inclined. Some of us may never watch any big events on TV, sports events. But a lot of times we'll dial into the Olympics. Why? Because we love to see these feats, these great feats of what people can do. Where they literally, they go beyond their ability. Reason we love the Olympics, if not other athletics, is because we see some people have this unlimited capacity to further themselves. A guy like Liddell, who's never really raced the 400-meter race, he goes to the Olympics, sets a world record, wins a gold medal in an event that he'd never even trained for. But see, God, we love this God because he's so unlimited in his capacity to act and to accomplish something. And it's easy for us to connect with him, to worship him, because why? Well, he is so powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. I mean, he is just omni. And we love that. 
Because God reveals himself through service too. And while some are here this morning, you may be attracted to the creator, the God of the universe that is so great. We don't want to miss the beauty and splendor of how the Bible reveals Christ. This mystery of himself that can be so difficult to comprehend. But the core of who Jesus Christ is. That when you unwrap God in Jesus, what do you see? Ultimately, you peel it back and you see the servant heart of God. This is in Christ Jesus. And when he had all power vested in him. When he knew that the father said, here it is Jesus, what does he do? The most godly thing he did was simply grab a towel, fill up a basin, serve those closest to him. See, friends, I think we have kind of an anemic theology of divine humility. I'm like you. We want this big God. We want this powerful God, and he is strong, and he is big. We want him to be a bit ominous, maybe a little terrifying, frightening, possibly overbearing at times. Well, for others at least. But we want this big God, don't we? We want to see a God maybe who dictates over man because it is so much easier to fear God like that at a distance. Or for some people to reject a God like that based on that kind of a character. But what do we see in Jesus who is God? We see someone who, he's more humble than you and me. He is more willing to step lower than you and me. He has a heart to serve you and me and humanity. Guess what? Even though he created every one of us and blew the life, the breath of life into each, every one of our lives. Jesus is this God servant. And it says he loved his own who were in the world until the end. Listen, little ones, you'll never get the cross. You'll never understand why God came into this world. It'll never make sense why Christ, the creator of all things, came into this container of a human body born of a virgin in a barn. You'll, it'll never make sense why he didn't come as a king, why he didn't come as a business-type Trump tycoon. It'll never make sense why he didn't arrive as a billionaire. But why did he come as God, as this lonely, lowly son of a carpenter, had real name, no personal prestige, no invested power? It's critical to see our, un, and understand our God as the ultimate servant God. The God who's comfortable with tying a towel around his waist. Who's comfortable with picking up a basin of water and washing the dirty feet of his creation. I mean, what do, you, what do you call someone who no matter how they've been alienated or betrayed by somebody, no matter how hurt or wounded or ignored they've been, that when someone honestly and sincerely cries out to them, he'll be there to meet their deepest need. What do you call someone who takes the mess-ups of your life and my life and he begins to weave them together to bring something good, powerful, precious out of them? What do you call someone who says, I'll take care of your basic needs and declares to you continually, don't worry, don't worry, I'm here. I don't know what else you would call someone that is there for you all the time, that is committed to meet every need. 
than if you just simply call out to him and trust in him. I don't know what you call him other than the greatest servant of all time. And see, isn't that so mind-blowing? Isn't that so astonishing about Jesus? It's not that he's all-powerful, although he is. It's not even that he is all-present, and he is. It's not that he's all-knowing, and he is. But what's so astonishing about Jesus Christ to me is that he radically inverts the value system of this world, and he totally inverts the value system of your life in my life. Why? Because he comes and he reveals himself as a servant to you, to me. If you read Philippians chapter 2, notice what it says. Just quickly turn over there. Philippians chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 3. It's another powerful picture, a theological picture. Many believe it may have even been a psalm in the, uh, in the Old Testament or excuse me, in the New Testament church. Paul says this in verse 3, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. That means you put them up above you. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Why? Well, to do that, you have to make your own attitude like that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God. I mean, he wasn't grasping for it. He didn't need the position. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, listen, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of man when he had come as a man in his, in, in his external form. What does he do? He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. Yes, even death on the cross. See, when Jesus came into this world, loved ones, it was the greatest act and picture of servanthood the world had ever seen. And humility wasn't a stretch for him. It wasn't difficult for him to embrace that and to live it out. He didn't have to alter his nature or his character. Serving was comfortable for this God-man Jesus Christ. Why? Because his action was service from the time that he was here. His motivation was love. And the virtue of his life, the virtue of his character was simply humility. And, the, and this theology of the servanthood of Christ is so important to grab hold of. Because as you and I serve others, as we lay our lives aside, well, then we begin to think of others and we'll stop focusing on ourselves so much. And see, when we begin to sacrifice so others can be healed and have ministry, what happens? And we talked about this just a little bit last week. But when you do that, when you begin to set aside some of your self-focus, some of your own stuff, so that you can begin to minister and serve others, what happens? Isn't there something in you that resonates? They're just simply, oh, God, that feels good. Oh, it was hard. But, but ultimately, man, that, that feels good. And we begin to live that out and understanding this is right. I, I, I think maybe I might have even been made for some of this. I think I might have been created to serve. Why? Because we understand when we do that, who are we becoming more like? We're becoming more like Jesus. And if you have Jesus living in you, that's what it's all about. 
Look back at John chapter 12, uh, 13 again, starting at verse 13. Jesus asked this question. Do you not know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. See, we reflect Christ by serving others, loved ones. We take on and reflect the very nature of Jesus when we serve. Jesus is saying here, I've done something that I want you to see as an example to you and for you. Because I am radically altering your view of reality and how you see life and how you begin to live life. If I am, in fact, your master and your Lord and I'm willing to serve you, then none of you can say that you're too good or too far beyond to begin to serve others. Jesus is obliterating this false view of what it means to live life to the fullest, isn't he? He's pointing to them, and he's pointing to his disciples. And listen, he's pointing to you and me, friends, and he's pointing us into a whole new direction. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45. He says, this isn't so with you. You're not to be lording over people like those of the Gentiles. He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus drives this theme into our lives over and over. You want to be exalted and raised up? Humble yourself. You want to go up? The way up is down. It's a radical departure from the reality of our world. And Jesus is saying, I've done this for you. I am serving you. I have stepped to the lowest place. I've literally disrobed myself from the vestiges and the regality of heaven. And now I've come down to don a towel to wash the dirty feet of humanity. And what's so powerful? What did he do? Well, he washed the feet of Jesus the one who was about to betray him with a kiss for personal gain. So Jesus is leading and he's showing us the way down the path of servanthood. And he asked his followers here, and I think he would probably say the same thing to us today. Do you understand what I've done for you? I mean, if you're going to call me Lord and Master, have you taken on the role of a servant like I have? Because you can't become greater than me unless you're willing to do this. And verse 17 says, blessed, happy, fulfilled is the person who knows this and not just knows it, but does it. You in the pits today? Do you lack joy because, oh man, it's just hard. Life is hard. And some of you might be in the pits today because, well, you've never really got beyond yourself and been willing to serve others because it's all about you and, well, maybe your personal and self-interest. Some may be here and you need God's touch in your life because you've got some deep pain, significant wounds and 
great scars that nobody could ever imagine. You might be here and your soul has been fragmented and it's been shattered and broken and you don't even know where the pieces are. I mean, you couldn't even begin to piece your life back together. What a great picture of our society, isn't it? And our society has become so medicated in trying to deal with all the consequences and and follow up and follow through of all the sin and brokenness. And one of the most difficult things for us to, to grasp and to understand is that Jesus shows us healing, how? Through serving. I love it because he's at the point of the most difficult point in his life, ready to die the most difficult death a man could ever face. And what is he doing? He's still serving. See, most of us, isn't it true that don't, we, we'd love to be in an emergency room. Okay, Jesus, just kind of just set me down. Do some quick triage in an emergency room and fix me. I remember I was playing basketball in college, and, and uh, one of the games, a guy jumped on me. I mean, went up for a rebound, come down, and he landed on my foot and my big toe. And, and my big toe started to swell up, and um, it's right before Thanksgiving, and uh, I was down in Eugene, and... Um, didn't really have access to a doctor, so um, my, my toe just got bigger and bigger and started turning under the nail black. You ever had that? And it just, it is pulsating. And it's like a, it's like a toothache in your toe. And so someone said, well, do this, you know, just get a pin, get a paper clip really hot and try and bore a hole in it. And I said, are you kidding me? No way. That sounds serious, seriously bad. But the pain, like in about 48 hours, so bad, I just, I said, I don't, I'll do it. So I tried, and I tried to bore all these holes in it, and I just couldn't get deep enough. And so, like, I, I finally, I, we went home for Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, and, and, and we drove home, and I had, like, about 100 little bore marks in my toe. And I, and I had to go to the doctor. I went to, I said, Trina, just take me to the emergency room. So she took me to the emergency room. And it hurt so bad when they, it's like seven shots in my big toe. And then they had to, they took off, they cut the toenail off. And, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like blood either. I don't like other people. Mine's all right. I just don't like yours. So I'm, I'm sorry, but if I bothered you this morning, yeah, she's leaving and she's sick probably. And <laughs> it hurts so bad when they... Beforehand, it hurt so bad um, when they did the shots, and then it felt so good when the toenail come off and all that pressure was relieved, and then it hurt so bad for a day when the Novocaine or whatever it was wore off. But I mean, it happened that quick. I mean, once it was taken care of, it was just a couple of hour process, and that's kind of how we want Jesus to take care of us. We want a quick fix, but Jesus says, don't you understand what I've done for you? I'm leading you down a pathway of healing and health, so you'll be blessed and you'll be fulfilled and you'll be made whole if you'll simply follow my way. Mother Teresa, one of my favorite people in the whole world and got a bunch of books that she's written and been written about her. And she, there's a story of a group of, of singers and dancers that were traveling through India. They were called the Chant of Asia. And, and Mother Teresa saw them share their gifts and talents. But she also saw around some of the, 
some of the edges of these very talented people that it seemed as if they'd lost their vision and become just a little bit dull in their routine, a little bit lax in their presentation of Christ's message. So this is taken from her book, The Love of Christ, the, bio the biography of Mother Teresa, and she wrote this to this little troupe after she saw them perform. She said, we give joy to the people by serving them, and you give it by your performance. Your work and ours complement one another. What you do by singing and dancing, we do by scrubbing and cleaning. What you do by dancing and drama, we do by sweeping and helping. It is beautiful to give joy to people. Oh, the joy of serving. And I'm sure that thanks to you that many people were comforted. And this talent that you have received, only riches can deprive you of it. As long as you are willing to be emptied of yourself, listen, and filled with God, you will keep this talent sharp. The day we begin to lose that focus, we lose something great and we begin to die. Remain as empty as possible so God can constantly fill you. For even God cannot fill anything that is already full of itself. And remember, people are not so much interested in seeing us as they are in seeing what God wants to give them through us. What a poignant letter. What a great thing to remember. Serving helps us to be reminded of who we are in Christ Jesus. That we reflect his life. What are you doing with your heart? What are you doing with your life? Can I challenge you partly today? Start somewhere. It can be as simple as a smile with somebody at your table. But then begin to move out. Take bigger steps in this thing called service. Because as you do that, you and me can better know and understand Christ. See, the great thing about serving, we begin to really see who Jesus is. We see how he works in the mundane to bring forth the miraculous. Do you remember when Jesus turned the water to wine? In John chapter 2, he was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Who had the courtside seat? to seeing that miracle happen? Yes, it was those who did the heavy lifting, who did the hard carrying of the water to take them to the other vessels to refill the wine vessels. And as they begin to fill them because they did what Jesus said, what happened? Can you imagine that? It's water. No, it is red zen. <laughs> this is incredible. No, I, I think I got a cab over here. And, and it is rich and robust. And these guys are just going, whoa. They not only got to see the miraculous, but what did they get to see? They got to see the divine nature of the miracle worker. That was the first miracle Jesus ever performed, ever did. And who saw it? It was the servants. How many of us in this fellowship today understand that because we've been involved in Christ's mission at Creekside or out there, what do we get to see? We get to see Jesus at work. Guess what? We see this divine God. And we go, oh, that's what God looks like. Thief on the dying cross next to Jesus. As he's talking to him, he begins to see how Jesus dies on the cross and ultimately begins to understand he's dying for him. How he serves him. And we'll, oh, 
That's what God looks like. See, it's one thing, friends, for God to be all-powerful. It's one thing for God to be all-knowing. It's one thing for this God to be all-present. But man, to be all-serving of his humanity and his creation, it's mind-blowing. There's no, there's no other God, little g, that has done that. There's no other God of this universe that's talked about, little g, that is known for serving his people. Only the Christian faith describes God in his pure essence. Where we get to see him simply serving his humanity. And here's the absurdity of Jesus' message. That God, in Christ Jesus, tied a towel around his waist and he came into the world to wash us and to make us clean through his blood and through his word. That we could never, ever find a relationship with God as long as as we could believe we could do it on our own or that we could ever serve him enough to get to him or to enter into a relationship because of our service before him. See, loved ones, our call is simply to respond to his action in our life so that we begin to reflect his heart and to impact and, and his impact upon us. What he has done in us can now be done through us. And that's how Jesus challenges the disciples of that day as well as this day. You understand this if you've been at Creekside for very long. You can't buy your way to God. You can't be strong enough. You can't be rich enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't be powerful or powerful, popular enough. All you can do is to have access to him and to allow him to access your life and touch you with the servanthood of who he is. It's like Peter. Some of us say, well, you're not going to touch me. You're not going to wash me. And Jesus would say, no, no, no. Unless I touch you, unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. Jesus comes into this world, loved ones, brutally beaten. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He was beat. He was nailed to the cross, hung out to die. But then he raised on the third day. That's the simplicity of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the greatest news. You and I can do nothing for him because he's done everything for us. We can't earn our way to him. So let me close this way. Probably some wonder, well, if that's all true about Jesus, then why bother serving Why do we do this stuff in our community, at our church, in our families, in our neighborhoods? Why are we continually or constantly or consistently challenged to do those things if service isn't that important? Oh, it's very important. Because when you have been served by Jesus and he impacts your life, guess what? When his servant heart touches yours, when his love has been expressed to you in its fullest extent, can I just say this? you will never be the same again. And like Jesus, you'll begin to understand that life is more about you serving than you being served because that's what Jesus came to do. Part of the proof, loved ones, that he has touched you and you understand how he has served you is guess what? 
is you will serve in return. So how do I live this? How, how do I live this way? Because if you're like me, it can be difficult. It can be unfair. I mean, look at Jesus got betrayed and he was perfect. Let me finish the uh, Eric Liddell story. After all of his great Olympic accomplishments and the fanfare that went with that, I told you that he traveled to Japan to be a missionary. It was in 1943 that Liddell found himself in an internment camp with 1,800 other enemy nationals. While there, he served the other prisoners and especially connected and delighted the little children there. He earned the love of the children and adult prisoners and the respect of his Japanese captors. It was in 1945 that he became ill but never said anything. He didn't say anything about it, but he continued to teach and to coach the children in the camp and to serve those around him. But on February 21st, 1945, just months before the end of the war, he died of an undetected brain tumor. He was laid to rest in a little cemetery outside the camp walls. Record books in Hollywood will remember him as an Olympic runner who made a stand. But all those whose lives were touched by Eric Liddell will remember him as a servant leader who in the last years, get this, in this camp served mostly children. The greatest life of his life was not the one that we saw in the 1924 Olympics, but it was his life, his Christian race that he used to serve people. When life is hard, when it's unfair, when we're betrayed, when we've been hurt, and I tell people this in class 101 all the time, come to Creekside, you're going to find some of the most wonderful people in the world. But do know this, stick around long enough, somebody will let you down here. Somebody will hurt you. Doesn't happen very often, but it happens. And it's usually not purposeful. And if you stick around for a long time, I'll guarantee you I'll let you down. I'll probably say something or do something that will hurt your feelings. Never intentional. That's life. And I'm amazed at how many Christians, they become, I'm sorry, but they just become so stinking weak. And wham, wham, because they get their feelings hurt over something, and then they run, 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 run. And then it happens a couple of times, and I'm thinking, well, let me see if this is the third or fourth time it happens. What's the thing there that never changes? And what do we do? We run. We run away from the greatest enterprise, the highest stakes game in the world, the one in eternal thing, the uh, enterprise on this earth is the church. People run for it. How do, you, how do you get beyond that? Jesus is just betrayed. He tells us how right here. Jesus was able to love them to the most, to the end, to the fulfilling, because why? Two things. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. Verse 3. Liddell in, a, in, a, in an internment camp, you in your difficult situation, me. We can do this because we know our faith is in Christ Jesus. He's the one that really started us, and guess what? He's the one with whom we end life with and transfer into eternity with. And when you really believe that and understand it, when you are bookended by Christ started my life and I will finish my life into eternity with him, when those bookends your life, guess what? What happens down here, you can get through it.
when you have faith concerning your past and hope concerning your future, that's what will allow you to love and serve in your present. And if you don't have those two things, you won't be able to do it here because somebody, something will let you down or hurt you or get you off. This is what I know. Either Jesus is telling the truth when he says all this, and that as we follow his example, what will happen? That we'll experience joy out of loving and serving, or he's either lying. And this is what I know about Jesus. Everything he has said to me in my life for close to 40 years has come out to be true. It has come out to be totally trustworthy. He says this, that one of the keys isn't that you know this stuff. One of the keys is, is that you do what I say, what you hear, what you know. Next time you feel depressed, next time you feel a little discouraged, next time you feel a little downtrodden, despondent, desperate, you want to throw in the towel, do what Jesus did. Grab a towel and serve somebody. Give your life away instead of waiting for everybody to come to you and serve you. That's what Jesus did here. He could have sat around that little table and said, serve me, serve me, wash my feet, my body, get me ready. I'm going to die in 70. No. He just said, I'm going to show these little guys. I'm going to show these little stinkers what to do. And he simply begins to serve them. Because it's the pathway to joy. You watch. You wait. You'll see. It's true. What's the next step? Some of you will probably want to get real spiritual with this and say, well, you know what? I serve out there. I serve my family. And that's all well and good. But it's really good to serve outside of yourself. And beyond that little circle that is so in, just uh, intrinsic and there's kind of payback for it. And part of this is a message that I want to remind our church because I haven't talked about this in a long time. The importance of serving in mission out there and ministry in here. We're growing as a church, loved ones. It's exciting. And I said it last week. I'm surprised that the percentage of our serving has gone down in the last few years, a high percentage. Now, part of that is because we've had a lot of new people come in. That's a good thing. And I need to recalibrate and let everybody know that's coming in. This is what we're about. And if you don't want to be about serving, this probably won't be the place for you. Because that's what God's called us to do. Serve in here and to serve our community. That takes time. That takes energy. That takes effort. That takes God. That takes the heart of Jesus within us. And I challenge you, there's people here that are members. And when you signed on to be a member, you said, I'm going to commit to serve. That's what we do. So in your program today, there's a little brochure. I talked about it last week and I want to challenge you to look at possibly doing an entry-level type ministry where maybe it's greeting. 
I ask you to pray about it this week. Where are you serving? Or what, does, what is God speaking to you? And I'm sure that if you prayed, God would have spoke something to you. But what, where are you, what is God speaking to you about in terms of service? In your program, is a lot of opportunities. We have some really easy entry-level ministry things like greeting and hospitality. The other one isn't so easy, but for a lot of us, it's a very natural thing. It should be for if we're a parent, but working in the nursery or the toddlers. We have a, a wonderful, wonderful infusion of young couples with children and babies. And as I said last week, if they come in and they don't see that we're taking good care of them, guess what? They're not going to stay. That's their precious cargo. And if we can't transport it back and forth to them on a Sunday morning and they have great confidence, uh, then they're not going to come back. And that's why this whole serving thing becomes so important because some of us think that, you know, this church, you know, they got a few people. They got about, oh, 10 people up here this morning or eight people on van. They got a couple of pastors that do things and a few people that pass out programs. And no, you know, we probably got over 100 people right now serving or 75 that have served in some capacity this morning. And as we grow, we need to continue to enlarge that. And I want to challenge you as, a, as your pastor, if this is your church and I'm your pastor, are you serving? Pray and say, God, where can I start? Where can I enter? Where can I begin? You say, well, man, I got a crazy schedule. That's all right. We'll help you find a place. If you're going to be here on a Sunday, we can help you do that. One or two services. But I want you to pray about it. Because you're never really embracing the theology and life of Jesus Christ until you begin to serve.